Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Uh, We're continuing in our series called Blueprints, where we've been looking into uh, Timothy's letter, or Paul's letter to Timothy at the church at Ephesus, um, and kind of picking it apart chapter by chapter, and we're excited to continue in our series. I want to take a moment um, as we get started today um, and encourage you with uh, an opportunity coming up. I know that our our welcome video, uh, Kayla, our kids uh, pastor, talked to us a little bit about um, something coming up called Gospel Conversations Training, and I want to unpack that, tell you a little bit more about that because it's easy just to hear that and go, I don't know about it. Um, here's the thing. We believe that, uh, the, that what Jesus has called all of us to do is to go make disciples. All of us are called to be disciple makers, people who are actually going, uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus and helping people grow in their faith uh, and, and uh, beginning to look more and more like Jesus. And that begins so often with a simple conversation with somebody. But if we're just honest, and I'm going to be 100% honest, The scariest part of that is I don't even know at times what I would say to somebody. Like how do you even bring up a conversation with someone to even, you know, take it to the gospel without sounding weird like, hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Like that is like the weirdest, most strangest way we've ever trained people to share the gospel. It's awkward, clunky, and doesn't work. Um, We partnered with a group called E3 Partners who have done a phenomenal job of putting together a very simple, easy gospel presentation that really puts the gospel in front of people and helps you to be able to communicate it. Because if we're just honest, that's the hardest part. Like, how do I explain the gospel to somebody in a short conversation? This really uh, is going to train you on how to do that. But the biggest piece of it that I think is so important uh, is this. It's going to show you how to do that in normal conversations. Instead of being weird and like sidewalk, you know, walking down the sidewalk and asking random questions, like it's going to show you how to do that in just normal everyday conversations with first people you don't know and that you've never met before. How do you have a conversation with someone you've never met before? What's a natural way you can do that? And then also, how can you do it in just a regular conversation with people you know and you have a relationship with and it feel natural? So I want to encourage you, don't miss July 30th. We're not going to have service. It's a beloved Sunday, so we we won't have regular service. It's going to start at nine o'clock right here. We've got child care for your kids. Uh, we'll have our training um, and then there'll be a time where we actually kind of put it into practice and then we'll come back and we'll have a lunch and we'll share um, and do a little bit more training. And so it's a, a longer day, um, but uh, we encourage you to come be a part of it. I promise you are not going to regret that. To sign up for it, just go to our website. It's the very first thing on our website um, or you can text the word convo to eight. Six five two four zero zero three five three, and you can get signed up for that. If you've got questions, feel free uh, to grab one of us and we'll be happy to talk with you. Um, this morning we're going to jump in and we're going to be preaching through First Timothy chapter 5. 
And I'm pretty confident you have probably never heard a sermon on 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, partly because it's dealing with an issue that we just don't necessarily face in our culture and in our world um, and in our church. And so 1 Timothy chapter 5 is kind of very, it's, it's a very practical how to handle a unique situation that was happening in the church at Ephesus. Um, the Ephesians here, um, uh, or the church here in Ephesus was dealing with, honestly, a crisis of uh, widows that had kind of overtaken them. And they were really struggling with, hey, how do we manage in trying to meet the needs of all of these women who have lost their husbands, who no longer have a husband to care for them and to provide for them? What do we do with them? How do we prioritize who gets helped and who doesn't get helped? Um, and so 1 Timothy chapter 5 really is a uh, an, an instruction manual to Timothy to say, hey, here's my advice on how to handle this situation, Timothy. Um, we don't face this same situation. Like we don't have tons of widows in our church that we're trying to figure out how do we help them and what do we do about them. But within Paul's instructions here, um, we're going to find uh, some patterns for how you and I ought to relate to one another here inside um, the church today. We're going to find a pattern for relationships and an interaction with each other as Christ followers that we can apply today in our church. And what I believe is that if we will follow these guidelines, it's going to help us to bring honor to God in the way that we relate to one another, how we treat each other inside the household of God. And so let's jump in 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. If you've got a copy of Scripture, you can read along. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Paul is going to start here and he's going to encourage uh, Timothy. He's going to say, hey, listen, inside the house of God, this is uh, uh, the very first guideline I can give you for how you ought to interact with each other. And that is this, treat each other with respect. Amen? You should treat each other with respect. His instructions here uh, to Timothy are important because if I were to really drill down, most of the challenges that we face inside the church today could be resolved if instead of believing the worst about someone, we chose to believe the best about them. If instead of believing that somebody's out to get us and they're out to harm us, that we chose to believe the best about them and instead chose to show them honor and respect, even in the moments where we don't necessarily think that they deserve honor and respect. What Paul is saying here is like, listen, I know it's easier just to treat people however you want to treat them. It's easier just to treat people maybe the way that they have treated you. But Paul is going to say inside the house of God, the first thing that you ought to understand is you ought to show respect to one another, whether you deserve it or not. That we honor one another. We respect one another. That inside the household of God, we should treat each other like family and not a big dysfunctional family, like a family that actually likes each other. Like, you know, that, that family used to hang around where everybody loved each other and everybody kind of got along, that kind of family, right? 
And so Paul directed Timothy, hey, listen, inside the household of God, don't rebuke the older men in the church. Now, Paul is not saying, hey, you can't challenge uh, older men. You can't just say, hey, you don't have to go around and say, hey, all the old men get to say whatever they want to say, and everybody's got to listen to it. Nobody can question it. He's not saying that here. He's saying you should respect wisdom and age. We ought to carry with us and we look at our elders in the room and we ought to carry a level of honor and an extra level of honor and respect towards those who are older. Why? Because they have more life experience than we do. They've been around the sun a couple more times than we have and whether we want to admit it or not, most of the time they're way smarter than we are. They have way more life experience than we could have ever had. And so we ought to honor and respect them. In fact, if you look throughout Scripture time and time again, you're going to see the same theme uh, taught throughout Scripture, that there is a level of honor and respect that we show to those who are older than us. And so Paul is going to encourage Timothy, shepherd those who are older than you. Do it faithfully, but do it with much respect and honor. Don't lose the honor and respect that they deserve. Now, the word here in the Greek vocabulary used uh, for rebuke is not the normal word that is typically used. In fact, in, uh, this word is only used here in all of the New Testament. It's the only time that it's ever going to be used. And the word means this, to strike at and to beat upon. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, do not basically attack older men within the church. Do not beat them up. Do not attack them with your words. Do not berate them. Uh, Do do not strike at them. It's not, hey, there is a way that I can challenge you. There is a way that you can challenge me that is respectful. Paul says, don't strike at them. Don't beat upon them. Don't abuse them with your arguments. The greatest example of this is think about political disagreements today, right? I hate political conversations and I avoid them. Why? Because we can't do it civilly. The only way we know how to talk about politics is to strike each other in our conversations, to beat on one another, to immediately say, you're the enemy and I'm right and I'm going to use every ounce of energy I have to fight you into the ground, into submission. That's how we do it. And that Paul, that's what Paul is saying. Don't do that with your elders. Show them honor. Show them respect. And when it comes time, Timothy, and you have to rebuke an elder, like you have to have a hard conversation with them, don't do it forcefully. Don't strike at them. Don't do it harshly. Do it in love with respect and the honor that they deserve. He tells Timothy, as you encounter younger men in the church, you should treat them as brothers and a brother you actually like, not one that you beat up all the time and uh, mistreat, right? Treat them like a brother that you love as a partner and a friend in the work of the gospel. When it comes to the older women in the church, Timothy, treat them as you would your mother that you love. And it's okay when they, they give you a little bit of motherly affection and they dote over you and they try to protect you as all good mothers uh, are going to do. When it comes to the younger women in the church, Paul says, listen up, Timothy, protect them. He goes a step further. He doesn't just say, hey, treat them like you would a sister, but he adds the line about treat them with all purity. 
You ought to protect the young women in your church. They ought to be treated as sisters. They should be respected. They should be protected. They should never be seen as objects to be abused or taken advantage of. That is so often in our culture and even in the culture that uh, Timothy would have found himself in. He says, no, you treat them as a sister who is worthy of every ounce of respect that a man is due. And you protect her and you guard her like an older brother protects and guards and watches out for his younger sister. That is how you treat women inside the church. And so what we see immediately off the bat is that we're called to treat each other with respect, with honor, regardless of our age. And church, can we just be honest? That's how the world knows there's something different about us. It's when they look at the house of God, when they look at the people of God, they see people who honor one another, who treat each other better than they deserve. That is how the family of God brings honor and glory to God himself. But Paul is going to go on and he's going to give us um, a second guideline and that is this, is to take care of those who are truly in need in your church. Listen to this, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 uh, through uh, 8. We're going to go verses 3 uh, through, uh, let's go 16. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a woman who has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of of God, she who is truly a widow, let all left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that uh, they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's going to go on for the next few verses and he's going to continue to lay out more uh, 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 kind of guidelines for how you should care for widows uh, in the church. But during this time that uh, Paul writes this letter to Timothy, there is a crisis happening in Ephesus and it is this crisis of widows. What are we going to do with these women who were losing their husbands? This was a more common practice back then. Life expectancy was not as long as what it is today. There were numbers of wars going on around them. And so men were going off to war. They were dying in war. They were dying of uh, diseases. And so it was not uncommon for a woman to find herself without a husband. And in that day and age, this was a significant issue. Women did not typically have jobs like we do today. And when you lost a husband, you lost the sole provider for your family. You lost your financial income. And so this was a serious issue. And so Timothy is overwhelmed with what to do with all of these women and how do we meet the needs of uh, these, these women who are finding themselves without a husband. And we have to be careful that we don't read this passage through an American lens. So we have social uh, support services in our country. 
When you're in need in the United States of America, and not that it's going to meet all of your needs, but the government is the first line. They step in, right? The government is who steps in first, and they provide things like Social Security, welfare. They they provide support services to women and to children who are in need, and they take care of them. This did not exist in Paul's day. There was no government who stepped in to take care of you if your husband died. There was no government who stepped in and gave you a paycheck to buy food to put it on your table. You were on your own and you had to figure out what to do. You had to figure out how to provide and take care of you and your family. And so most of these women, when their husbands died, would turn to the church. They would turn to the house of God and they would ask the church for help. And so the church in Ephesus is completely overwhelmed with what to do because it was more than just, hey, we'll buy you groceries for this week or, you know, we'll have someone make you a meal. They would take the the widowed women and they would put them on the, the rolls of the church and the church would become their livelihood. The church would pay their bills. The church would give them a place to, uh, to live. The church would provide food for them. And in exchange, the widow would commit herself to the church and she would become a servant uh, to the church. In fact, uh, deacons in Scripture, if you ever heard the, uh, the terminology deacons in, in the early church, began as widows. This is where this office, uh, they believe this office originated out of were the widowed women who would come and they would take an oath to the church. The church would provide for them and they would become servants of the church. They would commit the rest of their life to work for the church and to serve the church and to serve the members of the church. And then uh, um, uh, the office of deacons kind of rose out of that. But in Ephesus, the church is being overwhelmed with the women who are seeking to become widows. And they don't know what to do. But even furthermore, many of the women who were seeking uh, to, to be provided for by the church were truly not in need. They were abusing the system. And so something had to be done. And so the next 13 verses in chapter 5 are going to be kind of like a a how-to manual that Timothy would have learned. Oh my gosh, thank you for giving this to me, right? And for most of the world that we live in today, it would be a how-to manual for how to help those who are in need. And what we see here in Paul's instructions is that God has always had a heart for those who are poor and those who are in need. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There is a calling on our lives as Christ followers to step into moments of need for other people because God has a heart for those who are in need and we as his followers ought to have that same heart. We ought to have that same passion and compassion for those who are underprivileged And we should care for them and we should love them just like he does. And so even though we don't face a widow crisis at TriStar, we have countless needs around us. 
We have more needs in our church than what we had the capacity to meet and handle. And that's where Timothy found himself with widows. And what I think we can do is we can look at Paul's teachings here and we can actually apply this not just to widows, but we can apply it to all of those who are in need around us. And we can find some instructions from Paul on how we can meet the needs and to care for the needs of those who are inside of our church. And so let's jump in and let's see what we can learn. Verses three through four, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. The first instruction that uh, uh, Paul is gonna give Timothy is this. Hey, listen, if there's family to take care of this widow, let the family take care of them. That's what families do. Families take care of their own. Families don't turn a blind eye to those who are in need within their family. The very first line of provision for someone in need should be other family, uh, other family members that they have. And I think the same is true for us as we see our own family members. We don't wait for somebody else to take care of the need. We don't go, hey, maybe somebody else in their life will step up and meet that. We, know, we go, no, that's my family. And if I have the capacity, I'm going to step into that and I'm going to provide and I'm going to help them, even if it means I have to sacrifice in order to do so. We take the responsibility for our own family members who are in need. But that doesn't mean there won't be times that we're going to need extra help. That doesn't mean we can meet all of their needs, right? Like it, it, we just physically sometimes can't. We may need the church to help at other times, but the first line of defense is always our family. The primary responsibility for my family is not the government. The primary responsibility for my family is not the church. The primary respons uh, person responsible for my family is me as the dad is my wife as the mom. We are responsible for our family. We're responsible to take care of them. And Paul says in 1 Timothy verse 8, he says this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul, like chill out for a moment here, right? Like you're getting pretty harsh there. Paul can like throw down when he's really passionate and he, he, he can get there fast. But he has strong words for those who turn their backs on their loved ones. And what Paul is saying is like, hey, how are you going to love the world around you with the unconditional self-sacrificing love of Jesus if you won't even do it for your family? How are you going to be there for your neighbor and love them with a sacrificial love of Jesus if you'll turn your back on your sister? Paul says, take care of your own family. Now, let me challenge us because um, there are some times that we just have to say no. There are some times that uh, helping can actually do more damage. If you're dealing with somebody uh, who is struggling with substance abuse, if you're dealing with someone who is uh, uh, dealing with an addiction and they're facing challenges in their life because of their poor decisions that they continue to repeat over and over and over, I'm not going to tell you to say no, but what I would say is I would say no until you help them get help with what they're really wrestling with instead of just continuing to throw money at situations that are just going to keep suffering you dry and never get them somewhere. Because we don't want to help somebody 
and just keep them stuck in the same cycle where they just keep repeating the same thing over and over. Let's get them the help that they need and then we can step in and we can provide for those physical needs that they have. In fact, Paul even warns against this in uh, verse 6. He says, But she who is self-indulgent is dead even when she lives. He talks about widows who are living for their own pleasure. They're not living for, uh, the glory of, uh, for the glory of God. They're not seeking to honor God with their life. They're not seeking uh, uh, to support the church. They're just here to say, hey, what can the church give me? And I'm going to use whatever I have to live for my own benefit and my own glory. Paul says, hey, you're dead in your tracks when you're living that way. Paul says there's a difference between a widow who has devoted herself to the Lord and one who is only concerned about themselves. Those are two very different people, Paul says. Be careful. And the same is true in our own life as we approach people with needs. Be careful of those who are not focused on the Lord, but rather only fulfilling their own selfish desires. Because there are people who are in the midst of great need, but they continue to exist there because of their own bad choices. And what we need to do is help them come to grasp with their bad choices that are causing the situation before we step in and sacrifice greatly to meet their needs. Let's help them at their true point of need so that we don't get caught in this cycle over and over. Verse 9. Let not a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she <clears throat> has brought up children and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Let me pause for a moment. They are not walking away from their faith. Um, when widows, we just talked about this a few moments ago, whenever they were put onto the church roll, they took a vow to commit themselves to the church for the rest of their life. That was a serious commitment in the early church. And Paul says, hey, if these younger women, if you, if you make them a widow— they're probably not, at some point, they're going to want to get remarried. And then they're going to go back on their vow. They're going to go back on their commitment. And that's not a good thing. That word faith and commitment are interchangeable. It does not mean faith in Jesus. It means their commitment to the church. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows." Paul's second piece of instruction for the widow crisis is this. Take responsibility for your own needs. When Paul tells a younger widow, hey, don't let anyone under the age of 60 become a widow, he's saying that because he's saying if you're under the age of 60, you've got options. Most women over 60 are not getting remarried in this culture that they're in. They're done. They have no other option. And as we talked about earlier, they've lost their livelihood. They, have no, they, they can't just go out and get a job. A woman in this culture cannot just go out and get a job and provide for a family like a man can. And so remarrying was a viable option for most women who were younger. 
It was a way for her to provide for herself. It was a way for her to take care of her family. And what Paul is saying is, hey, if that's an option, take that option. I think the encouragement to us is the same today. Where we can care for ourselves, we should. We should make sure we have exhausted every opportunity, every avenue to take care of the need in our own life before we turn to the church and ask the church to do that. We don't just wait for someone else to take care of the things that we can do something about in our own lives. And guys, we are living in the midst of a culture where there is very little personal responsibility. Everything is somebody else's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. No, my life is my responsibility. And that sometimes I've got to, uh, I, I, I can't just sit around and wait for somebody else to come in and be my rescuer. Jesus has already set us free from our sins. He's already given us life. And sometimes we got to grow a little bit of grit and we've got to have some responsibility and take responsibility for our own lives and our own outcomes. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't just wait for someone else to take care of you. For many of these younger women who became widows, who instead of looking to remarry became widows, uh, they, uh, instead of going out and contributing and helping the church move forward, instead of becoming a servant of the church, they just kind of sat back. The church is taking care of me. My needs are getting met. They became idle. And what happens when you become idle? You get in trouble, Right? And so many of these women were becoming uh, what uh, Paul would say were becoming gossips. They were becoming busybodies. They were going door to door to church members within the church and gossiping about things that were going. They were inserting themselves into conversations that they did not need to be a part of. And so Paul says, listen, let the younger women remarry. Let them take responsibility in the places where they can to provide for themselves instead of looking to the church to provide for them. And that way that will leave the older widows who are truly in need for the church to care for. The third instruction we see is that we are to take responsibility. We should take responsibility for God's family. We should care for those who are a part of our church who have no one else to help them, who are not capable of providing for their own needs. The house of God has a responsibility to care for those who are a part of it. That we step in and we don't neglect them. Does that mean we never help those who are not a part of our church? No. I think when you're faced with the situation and you have someone who's in need, you pray and you ask, Jesus, are you leading me to do something about this? And you always go with whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, right? But we have a special responsibility to those who are a part of our family, that we should help wherever we can. First Timothy 5, 13. It's going to give us one last guideline here. Not only are we to show each other respect and honor, not only are we to take care of the needs of those who are within our church, the third, he tells us to avoid idleness. First Timothy 5.13, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying whatever they should not. Paul says you should avoid idleness. 
Can I just encourage you? Idleness is one of the greatest dangers to the church. For these younger widows um, that had allowed the church to take care of them, they weren't holding up their end of their bargain. They weren't helping the church move forward. They weren't being servants of the church. Instead, they were going around stirring up dissension. They were uh, going around stirring up gossip. They were going around stirring up uh, division within the church. Instead of using their time to build up the church, they were tearing down the church with their conversations that they had no business being a part of. And Paul gives us a very clear warning here. Idleness will lead to gossip and slander. And if you don't believe me, just get on social media and look at most every single page that you see there. When we, have, when we are idle, when we have void space in our life, that doesn't mean you should never have downtime and rest. We should rest But when we are idle, we will fill our idle minds with all kinds of dangers. We'll fill it with all kinds of things that are not honoring to God that will lead us in all kinds of directions away from his heart. And if we're not careful, we become busybodies who insert ourselves into situations and into conversations that we have no business being a part of. And I'm just going to tell you, gossip and slander and busybodiness is one of the greatest uh, dividers of the church and destroyers of the church. And we have no business standing by and allowing it to happen. It will kill TriStar Church in five seconds if we're not diligent about it. Let me tell you how to stop gossip. Let me tell you how to stop slander. When someone comes up and says, hey, um, did you hear about, and then they go on, you know, go on the thing, just stop them dead in their tracks and say, you know what? I know Mr. Ray that you're talking about. And this didn't happen, Mr. Ray. I'm just using you as an example. But you go, you know what? You're talking about Mr. Ray. I know Mr. Ray. I got his cell phone. How about we call him right now and we'll all three go sit down and we'll talk to Mr. Ray and we'll get this settled. I'll promise you one of two things will happen. They will never, ever, ever talk to you again and ever spread gossip to you again because they know you won't tolerate it. Or B, you'll help resolve the situation and both are a win, right? You know what's not a win? When we just let that flounder in our church and we let that spread in our church and we give the devil an opportunity to get a foothold inside of our church. Listen, when we're frustrated, listen, I am going to tick you off. I'm going to say something from up here that you go, I don't know about that. Instead of going to five other people going, I don't know about what he said. Would you just come to me and let's talk about it? Because we can solve it. But it won't get solved with five other people. That's just going to frustrate other people and stir up division. When someone in your missional community does something that upsets you or they don't step up in a way that you felt like they should step up, can I encourage you? Don't get mad. Don't go talk to everybody. Just go to that person. Go to that group and and tell them what you're feeling. Don't be afraid to say that. And find resolution. Let's not give the enemy an opportunity to bring division in our church. I love this quote by John Piper. He says, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook 
will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Hmm. We got all the time in the world. Don't believe me, just look at how much time we spend on social media. How much time we spend in front of an idiot tube called a television. What are we choosing to fill that time with? And is it helping the church to move forward? Is it helping the gospel to move forward in our community? Or is it distracting us from what God has called us to do? In the house of God, let's keep our hands busy with the work of God so that there is no room for idleness that leads to distraction, that leads to gossip, that leads to slander and pulls us away from what God has called us to do. And let us remember in the house of God that we are called to relate with each other in a way that honors God. We don't get to just treat people however we want to. We're called to show honor to God in the way that we relate to one another. And Paul reminds us that, listen, honor one another. Show respect to one another. That's how you bring honor and glory to God. When someone inside your church has a need, step in. Take care of the needs of those who are in your church. That's how we honor God. That's how we show the world around us that God deserves all of our worship, all of our praise. That we take care of our family. That where we can, we take care of our own needs. And that for those who have no family and they can't help themselves, that we as a church step into that and we help take care of those needs. And lastly, we are careful that we do not become idle and give an opportunity for the enemy to distract us and to pull our attention and our affection on to something else. Because we have a great work in front of us. And that is to go make disciples. To make disciples in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our communities. And it is so easy to get distracted from that. So this morning, would you bow your heads? Would you take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Are there places that you're struggling to show honor and respect to others inside the house of God? Are there needs that you're aware of that maybe you just kind of turned the other way? You turned a blind eye to people, serving, whatever it may be. that the Holy Spirit is calling you to look directly at and maybe to meet that need. Or maybe to examine your life and see are there places where you've just become idle. And I know our lives are busy. It's hard to imagine that we are idle. But man, there's, there's so much opportunity for us to be idle. to allow other things to step in and pull our attention and our affection and our focus off of Jesus and the gospel and his call for us to go make disciples. 
Would you just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what he needs to reveal to you this morning? Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his words to Timothy. And that although our situation 2,000 years later looks totally different than Timothy's does, there's so much we can learn about how to interact with each other, how you're calling us to treat each other inside the house of God. I pray that we would be a church who shows great respect to one another, who treats each other like family. That in moments where there's opportunity to be offended or to be upset, that we step in and we show honor and respect, even in moments where we don't feel like it. Would you help us to be a church who takes care of one another? Help us to be a church who takes care of our families, who takes care of ourselves, and who steps in to take care of the needs of those around us who, who, who just can't do it for themselves. Help us not to turn a blind eye to the needs and the opportunities that are right in front of us to be your hands and your feet. And would you help us from being idle? Would you protect us from stepping back from being faithful to the call that you have on us to go and to make disciples in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? that we would help carry the gospel into the dark places around us. For sure, your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.